Welcome to the Heart of Rural America podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Radke, an American cattle rancher and motivational speaker, raising my kids and writing children's books in South Dakota. There's a David and Goliath story unfolding in agriculture today. And I don't know about you, but my money is on the underdog, the hardworking folks who value faith, family, freedom, and their farming communities. This show will highlight the untold stories of these resilient and determined families who I have the great pleasure of meeting in my travels across this nation as an agricultural speaker. It is my hope that their stories will remind us to live with great courage because we are not alone in this fight to keep producers on the land and meet dairy and eggs on the dinner table. Now let's hit the dusty trail together as we uncover the heart of rural America. Welcome to your show. Here's my mom, Amanda Rocky. Hey everyone, it's Amanda Radke here, back for another episode of the Heart of Rural America podcast, the show where we highlight great people doing inspiring things in rural America to protect and preserve our agricultural communities and our future in food. I have a great guest on here today. He is a bulldog and a champion for agriculture. He's been in the political arena and he fights every day for you and I. And I had the great pleasure of meeting him in 2019 in Rapid City, South Dakota at a movie premiere. Dave Duquette of Western Justice, welcome to the show. Thanks, Amanda. Appreciate it. <laughs> I, uh, and, our, and our friendship has done nothing but grow ever since that first meeting. So That's exactly right, and I'm grateful for it. It was a great opportunity to meet you and connect and realize we're really aligned on a lot of issues, and we're both kind of battling where we can, how we can. So I guess just to start, tell us a little bit about yourself and Western Justice. I ran Protect the Harvest for many people, many of your viewers are going to, our listeners are going to know what Protect the Harvest is. I ran that for about eight, almost eight years. When I left there in 2020, a bunch of my bigger donors at Protect the Harvest had called me and said, hey, you can't be out of this fight. You need to keep doing something. So figure it out. Because all of our big money came from the horse industry. You know, our big donors all came from the horse industry. So they wanted, a couple of them wanted me to be the lobbyist for the horse industry. And I thought about that for a little bit. And I thought, you know, being a lobbyist, it would make more money for me, make more sense financially for me, but that's not why I do what I do. So I started weighing the options of, okay, do I start another organization or do I just be the lobbyist and get paid every month by a couple of people to go do that stuff? Right. And the overwhelming thoughts I had and, you know, mental process on that whole deal was the fact that I can do a lot more with a lot more people. And my whole philosophy has always been the grassroots are what get you where you want to be. I can't do near as much on my own as I can with a bunch of people behind me. Mm-hmm. So we just put out, a I don't know if you saw it, but we put out like a op-ed, whatever you want to call it. It's a blog post, but it, it's about grassroots and the grassroots people. And I can link that in the show notes too, just yeah. so that folks can read more about it. Yeah. And that, that kind of sums up the whole, our whole thought process at Western Justice. We are a national organization that basically coordinates an effort. But if we go into like, like with this rodeo battle, we've been in for almost four years now in, in Los Angeles, you know, we've got over half a million dollars tied up into that between lobbyists and attorneys and all the, expenses that go along with doing that deal. We're in a really good spot right now compared to where we were when we started this thing. 
but we couldn't do what we did December 5th. Cause like December 5th of this last year, there was a big hearing on this, you know, banning rodeo in the city of Los Angeles. And before everybody says it, probably the most common thing I hear is just go somewhere where people want you, you know, let LA fall off into the ocean. You know, you're never going to get by with LA. That's not the point. LA is the second largest city in the United States. We don't want the second largest city to ban our way of life or something we do. And you'd be surprised. There's 90,000 horses in the city limits of Los Angeles. Wow. There's a lot of horses there and a lot of horse people. So, you know, it's the same reason we fight every year when, when they bring it up in New York, we do the same thing, but New York, we're able to, it goes to the legislature. So we're, we've been able to stop it in committee every year in the New York legislature. It hasn't been like on the city docket. I just kind of want to highlight, this is one thing I just reiterate over and over and over again, whether it's rodeo or ranching or horse carriage businesses in Chicago or whatever it is that activist groups are attacking or, or lobbyists are trying to get regulations to kind of push these things out of business or out of the culture. To me, it just always boils down to private property rights and your ability to own and manage your land and your livestock and your businesses as you see fit. And so to me, that the rodeo thing, it is an attack on your ability to utilize a horse for business, for entertainment, for education, for whatever you'd like. And people think, oh, it's only happening in Los Angeles, but you and I know it's happening all across the country. What are yeah. you seeing out there and the attacks on the Western industry right now? It's actually subsided just slightly over the Yellowstone era, you know, because everybody wants a horse. Everybody's it's all popular stuff now, right now. That's going to go away. Yeah. I mean, that's, I call it the third coming of the urban cowboy phase. You know, that's what the Yellowstone phase is to me. I love that all these people want to go buy hats and boots and do all that stuff for the manufacturers and the people that are our corporate partners and our sponsors. You know, I, I, I love that fact, but it's not going to last. It's not going right. to last forever. And right now, I think we're in that phase where, you know, one of my favorite phrases, and we put up, a, I had one of my girls make a meme out of it the other day, is that, you know, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, and hard times create strong men. Well, yep. we're in that, in that cycle. It's come really fast this time. I mean, it's the fastest I think it's ever happened in a three-year period we've gone all the way around that cycle and it's so bad you know the hard times being created by the weak men that we're already in that spot where we're coming up into our hard times create strong men and we're in that hard times creating strong men and people are wanting to come back and that's one of the reasons i think yellowstone and the whole thought process is you know the cowboy way the produce fight, God-fearing, all of those different things are coming back. Strong men are back in style. We need strong men faster because yeah. I'm seeing a lot of weak men cave to some agendas because there's dollars being dangled at them. And what I'm yeah. specifically referencing to is something that you've really worked hard on. And that is this whole climate change, Green New Deal agenda where we're being asked to bend a knee and say, yes, you're right. Agriculture is at fault. Yes, you're right. The cow does need to be carbon zero. Yes, you're right. We need to do more. We're going to take that guilt and we'll fix it. And these men, grown men that I have 
admired and looked up to all my life in agriculture who know the truth because they are farmers and ranchers are literally looking me in the eye and they are saying to me, Amanda, we know this stuff is bogus, but there is money to be made. So we better just get along to get along. What say you, Dave Duquette? I am the anti-make money over bullshit guy. So I mean, it, 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 it drives me absolutely crazy that people are trying to you know, in our own industries are going after the carbon credits and mm -hmm. trying to make money on carbon credits. I try to dissuade every rancher that I know, especially the ones out here on public lands and, you know, in the West where I live, trying to dissuade them from doing anything carbon credit wise. Because one, if you read the fine print on those contracts, they can come in and tell you how much you can graze that ground. Yep. They say they're not gonna, but oh, there's a lot of things like that that you get said, right? So don't believe them. Don't do it. It's not worth the money. I mean, some of these guys have huge allotments that yep. they could be getting carbon credits on for not using their AUMs, but you have to basically leave a feral. So one of the things we have to do, and we're doing at Western Justice, and it's going to take a couple more years, we have to change the narrative. The Heart of Rural America is presented to you by CK6 Consulting Services. I have the great pleasure of working alongside the CK6 team, including Chris Earle, Wes Tiamen, and Cody Fleeman, and it's an honor to assist cattle producers as they strive to meet their business goals. With a purebred Angus specialization, we have a full slate of auction sales coming up as we work to maximize price discovery and capture true value for our clients and customers. Plus, let us help you identify your next herd sire for the upcoming breeding season. At CK6 Source, you'll find great customer service, fast shipping, and a focus on leading Angus genetics. Learn more about what we do at ck6consulting.com and ck6source.com. We would love to assist you any way we can. God bless. Working cattle can be stressful at times, but the job is made so much easier with equipment that is safe, strong, and simply designed. I highly recommend Real Tough Livestock Equipment for all your working facility needs. We just installed the Deluxe Chute at Radke Land and Cattle, and it has been an absolute game changer as we run cows through our chute during AI season. It's durable and easy to use, and it's made to last a lifetime. Real Tough offers a wide range of products, including calving barns, panels, loading chutes, tubs, alleys, and portable working systems. Manufactured in the U.S. of A, Real Tough is family-owned and operated. Their commitment to helping farm and ranch families truly exemplifies what this show is all about. Learn more at realtough.com, that's T-U-F-F, -F, and be sure to tell them Amanda sent you to receive an extra bonus with your order. Let's get you some iconic green Real Tough equipment headed your way. I promise you're going to love it. Okay, so right now the narrative is natural resource use is bad. Cows are bad. All of the all of those things are bad. Where is that coming from? The 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 narrative is being pushed by these environmental groups. All these different, but there's a, a ton of them. They're taking water from farmers. Madras Valley over there in in my state and here in Oregon, there's about 980 farmers that are going to be totally out of water because Center for Biological Diversity said they were going to sue them if they didn't sign a habitat conservation plan, which basically has taken, they'll have no water. 
in the next few years. I mean, absolutely no water and there's no reason for it. That's just one example. But one of the things that we're going to do to try to, to change the narrative, the first thing is we have a grazing study that's going to, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's going to prove that cows are actually a net positive for the environment, not a net negative. And the basic premise behind it is grazing or uh, any type of forage type plants that don't get grazed, lay over in the winter. They get, uh, whether, you, whether depending on your climate, whether it's a rainfall, heavy rain, or some kind of oxygen deprivation event in the spring, once that oxygen deprivation event, the oxygen gets back to it, it all decomposes. So the old grass goes away and the new grass comes on. Well, our contention is, is that in that process, if it's not grazed at all, in that process, there's way more gas emissions. There's three or four different gases that go up. There's all the, all the carbon goes up into the air, into the atmosphere. So until the springtime and all that grass starts to come back on in the midsummer, then it starts to sequester all that back down. The thing that we're contending is that if a cow would have, say you're in an area where it takes, and we'll just use this for round numbers. You're in an area where it takes a uh, hundred acres to feed a cow for the year cow and her cow, then that 100 acres, if it wasn't grazed off, would produce way more methane and other gases coming off it in carbon flux than if that cow and that calf would have grazed it down to a manageable level, you know, mm -hmm. down, down low. So we used to have, what did they say, 300, I don't know who the one, who the person is that counted them, but we're supposedly had 300 million buffalo in the United States or some ungodly amount of buffalo like that. Yep. We don't have that anymore, right? And how many, how many cows are in the United States? Is, do you know what the... the well, it's the lowest we've been since the 1960s. So we don't have even close to what we used to have grazing the grass and all that. And they talk about this will all tie into the no-till farming. You know, the whole don't till because that's where the flux is, the carbon flux is coming or you know, is going up into the atmosphere when they till it. Yeah, that releases carbon. But my contention is our land base in the United States, continental U.S., almost 60% of that is grassland. Mm -hmm. And there's hardly any of it getting grazed mm -hmm. I mean, comparative to what is out there. So if 60%, and I, I'm talking about all the forest service ground with very few trees and a lot of grass and all the stuff that used to get grazed, especially out West here. I mean, people used to have a permit in the mountains. They'd summer their cows up in the mountains, bring them down and winter them at the, at their home place. Mm -hmm. And people don't do hardly do that anymore because their permits have all been taken away or cut back. So and, we and the West burns every year. And what's the year. thing? Log just, it, raise it or watch it burn. Well, and we have a, a great friend of mine. Have you ever met Ramona Morrison? I haven't. Uh, so Ramona Hage, the Hage family from Nevada, Wayne Hage's sister. She's probably one of the smartest people on water adjudication, property, chain of title. I mean, even the Reagan Ranch had her come do the chain of title on the Reagan Ranch. So that's the kind of brain power she has. But we are, part of our study, our grazing study is also going to include fire maps that show from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and you showed, even if we just go decade over decade, you look at the fire maps and you see that the, the fires have like, say in the sixties, 
when we were still grazing, there was a lot of sheep permits, a lot of, a lot of sheep out there. And let's just take Nevada, just the state of Nevada. And it's all these sheep permits and all these cattle permits. So the sheep would come through after the cattle or before the cattle, whichever way the, the, that pasture was being grazed. And all those mountains in Nevada were grazed. So with that, the fires would be, you'd see these little fire maps in the 60s and there's little dot here, little dot here, little dot here, little dot here. And that's where the fires were for that, that decade. You know, all those fires. Yep. And then every decade since, the map is actually covered. I mean, it's almost totally covered now with wow. fire and over a decade. The, you're, you can't hardly find any place, maybe Vegas and Reno, where there wasn't a fire actually on the ground there. And that's the stark reality of, and, and it directly correlates with how much all of our, all of these AUMs and these permits have been cut back every year. So it's- How do you anticipate this coming out, this study? Well, we're fundraising. It could be a two-year study. I want it to be a two-year study. So I'm trying to get to the point where we have the money to buy all the equipment. The equipment's almost a million dollars just for the equipment. Wow. So it's going to cost right about two million in a two-year span if we do it. We already got 500,000 from NRCS, another 70,000 from the Oregon Beef Council. So we need another half a million right away just to buy the equipment. We already have the test sites already lined out. It's all on private ground. We're not going to allow it to be out anywhere. We're going to keep control of it. The universities aren't going to have total control, but we do have a university involved with it. Oregon State University, a big ag university. They're going to be involved, but they don't have control over it. Okay, so back up on the NRCS comment, because I'm, I'm surprised, because as we speak, Biden and the Department of Energy have just released $925 million matches for climate smart projects. And you can mm -hmm. look up your state and see what kind of nonsense is coming out there. That's, I mean, our land grant university, South Dakota State University, is doing an entire study on climate smart beef. I do not think that's going to be advantageous for the cowboy at all. Mm -hmm. So how did NRCS get looped in? What's the, the tie-in there? The tie-in is that this is a big deal for agriculture. It's going to be, it should be. And we got the, like I said, we got the guys over there at uh, Oregon State University that are, you know, going to be one. We have one scientist there. The guy that came actually came up with the hypothesis is an Angus seed stock producer. And okay. he's a scientist that started, you ever heard of Omnigen? Oh, yep. Yep. That fed to dairy cows, kills gut rotten dairy cows. Okay. He's the scientist that figured out that gut rotten dairy cattle was a mold spore and not a disease or a virus or anything like that. So, okay. so he's, okay. he lives just an hour from me. What's the, what's the Angus ranch? Corsair Angus. Okay. We'll have to look him up. Yeah. His name's Steve Puntney. So do you feel like is this contributing to admitting guilt in any way, talking about the carbon thing? Or is this really our best method of like defending? Like you're just putting together the truth. We release the truth and set it free. Is that kind of well, the intention yeah. here? And the other portion, the real quick. So my second, in changing the narrative, mm -hmm. we have to get this study done. Elon Musk wants this. He, he's very interested in this. He believes the same way we do. Joe Rogan's the same way. Tucker Carlson's the same way. Trump's the same way. So once we get this study done and we can prove it to them, we have the four biggest voices in the world that'll back us up and say something about it. The other thing is, is I have a team of unbelievable investigators. I can't talk a lot about them, but they are high level 
you know, been around the world kind of people. And the House Oversight Committee in D.C. wants this, wants this information. And they've wanted an NGO to go after this for quite a few years. So in 2013, we figured out some friends of mine at Humane Watch and a couple other people, we all figured out there's a, there's a report out there called From Russia With Love. And it's on a, a website that's called The Big Green Radicals. Have you ever seen that? I have not. So if you look up The Big Green Radicals, it's an old, it's an old website. We put this out in about 13, I think, but it's called uh, From Russia With Love. We know that the majority of the money coming for these environmental groups is coming from overseas. Why? It's, it's very simple. You think about it. If, if we're not producing our oil because we got all these environmental groups suing and stopping and making a big fuss about oil being produced here, who gets the advantage? Russia, right? Russia and Saudi Arabia, all these other groups. So, we know that there's a lot of money coming into these environmental groups from Russia on the oil deal. Now, China's on the mining deals, trying to stop all of our mining production. So all of these groups are get, that are doing this stuff are getting funded. I want to prove to the public and change the narrative that why are you guys listening to these people? This is the whole reason they're doing it. They're doing it because they want to stop us from producing any of our, using any of our natural resources. Well, all of that money's coming through a, we know it's coming through a nonprofit in Bermuda. Okay. So all of it's coming from these different countries into Bermuda comes and then comes into millions, tens of millions of dollars into the United States from that nonprofit in Bermuda. It is a tangled web, Dave. So we're, yeah. So we're going after, I've got guys, uh, I, I can tell you that, that these guys were tasked by the Pentagon to find where all the money was coming from for the terrorist groups. And those are the guys that, those are the guys that cost a lot of money yep. to go find proof, but we got to have proof. We got to have proof. I want to be able to go out and say, this is where this is coming from. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I can just imagine listeners hearing this and being like, oh, this is just so far big. I don't even know how to tackle it. But at the end of the day, that's why at the very beginning of the show, when we said, don't sign up for these carbon projects, don't give up the leverage of your land, because he who controls the land controls the food and who controls the food controls the people. And these foreign nations would love nothing more than for us to cave to this Green New Deal agenda so that oh, we starve ourselves. If well, we can't feed ourselves, we are not free. Look what's happening overseas right now in the in Netherlands and all that with the farmers in Italy. They are fed up. And that's what's going to happen here. It I is. Mean, it's going to happen here if they keep pushing all this stuff all over everybody. And we got a lot more tractors and farmers than they do, you know. But, but weak men are allowing this to happen. Exactly. It's going to require strong men to say, absolutely not. This is not who we are in agriculture. This is not what we do. This is not a path we want to go down. The Heart of Rural America is presented in part by Lynn's Heritage Angus and Meats by Lynn's. Founded in 1963 as a Chicago neighborhood butcher shop and growing to an international supplier of high quality beef in the white tablecloth space, Meats by Lynn's is a four generation family owned business. The Lynn's Heritage Angus program was developed to allow for greater control of the end product, a focus on using elite Angus genetics while also managing the feed, environment, age, and weight of the cattle 
allows Fred Linz and his crew the ability to source the very best beef produced from the heart of their Angus program, meeting and exceeding the needs of their customers worldwide. Discover more at linsheritageangus.com and shop for beef at shoplins.com. Use code AMANDA20 to save 20% on your next beef purchase. That's a pretty sweet deal, my fellow beef lovers. You guys know, as a beef girl, I take grilling very seriously around here. And I've been using Redmond Real Salt for over a decade to season my steaks and burgers. It's unrefined, ancient sea salt exactly as nature made it. It contains 60 plus naturally occurring trace minerals, and it truly brings out the best of the beef we raise at home on the ranch. This American family-owned business also focuses on livestock products. And at Radke Land and Cattle, we are proud to use the beneficial Redmond Real Salt Minerals to get back to the basics and help our cattle improve fertility, immunity, and feed efficiency. It's natural, simple, and effective for people and livestock. Discover more at redmondagriculture.com and redmondlife.com and use code RADKEY to save. Or contact a local dealer and mention my name for a special discount. Okay, so I want to switch gears here in the last yep. half of the show, but tell, tell people how they can support the study. Like on my wall back here, there's a, a poster of, of Rural American Action. So one of the things that we did here at Western Justice, we realized that there is a need for rural America to come together, right? So our big deal and kind of the catalyst for this platform, and it was a very expensive platform to put together, but the catalyst for it was on change.org, we put a don't ban rodeo, basically stop the ban in Los Angeles. Yep. We got 30 some thousand signatures on it. Mm -hmm. And in that time frame, they had their little pitch in deal and people thought they were pitching in to help us. And the reality was they collected, change.org collected about $29,000 from those 36,000 people. Wow. And we don't get a dime of that. It all goes to change.org. And if you go look at, I, I did a deep dive on change.org. They have 500 million users worldwide. And if you go do a deep dive on them and figure out where they send their philanthropy, because they are, they are a nonprofit. Yeah. Their philanthropy goes to the very people that want to put us all out of business. It's sickening. So I didn't want to find that. So I talked to one of my big donors and she put up the money to build our platform, which that's not cheap. That's a standalone platform that has like three platforms in one. So it's got survey monkey, like that kind of a deal. Yep. Or surveys and polls. And then it has the petitions portion of it and a crowdfunding like GoFundMe. So we have our own crowdfunding, all that stuff. So anything that's made and we have very low fees on everything that we do compared to some of the other ones. And that's not a Dave's making money for himself deal. That is under our C3. Okay. So anything that's collected or made there on, on that goes directly into the C3 to save our way of life and keep our way of life going. So back to your question about how to support the grazing study. We have a fundraiser on there about the grazing study. It hasn't gotten a lot of traction yet because we, we haven't pushed it out a bunch. Okay. With it. But folks listening to this podcast, we'll get them a link and they can donate. Yeah, that would be great. Cause that's for me, that's the best way to do it because then it keeps it in a pot where it's specifically for that. If they send a check, 
they don't want to do it online. They want to send a check to Western Justice. I've had people, you know, do that. Just specify that you wanted to go to the grazing study and right. we'll put it towards that pot. Okay. All right. So we got to switch gears. We've got like 10 minutes left and I'm going to have to have you come back because we just have so much ground to cover, Dave. It's an election year. Ironically, you mentioned Russia. We got Tucker Carlson over interviewing Putin right now. There's a lot of sites on our food, our natural resources, our land, our ability for America to remain a superpower in the global space. You've got a lot of experience in the political arena. I guess first briefly tell us about your time with Pence and Trump during the last administration and what you did during that time. And Maybe let's get some insights from you on, on what's ahead for 2024. Probably the most notable thing that I did, really, I did a lot of work on Forest Service land and for ranchers with the Trump-Pence administration. They were really good. Pence was the catalyst for getting the Hammonds pardon, you know, and getting that whole thing started. Forrest Lucas and I, when I was still working at Protect the Harvest, we flew in there and he was friends with Pence. We got a meeting in the White House. We went and sat down with him and went over the fact that, you know, we need, there was two ranchers in jail over, that were maliciously prosecuted by the federal government and we needed to get him out. Yep. And we got him the commutation request and it's all history now. But there was a lot of people that were involved with that. We were the ones that were able to be able to place that on the vice president's desk who then in turn took it. And, and I have a lot of loyalty to Pence. He's a little milk toast in a lot of ways, but I have a lot of loyalty to him just because of the things that he helped us do. And As a side after, note, Dave and I have had this conversation many times while we're both barreling down the road and I'm yelling at him about Pence and he is loyal. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't want him for the president. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm not that loyal, but yeah. I am, I am very loyal to people who do good things for, for us. And, and the Hammonds never would have got pardoned if it wasn't for Pence taking that on. And, and I'll never forget sitting in the office as long as Forrest Lucas Lucas Oil from Indiana and Pence was the governor of Indiana. He'd been supporting him his whole career. And I'll never forget Pence looked at Forrest in the, at the end of our conversation in his office there. And he goes, Forrest, all the years you've been supporting me, I don't think you've ever asked me to do anything for you. And Forrest just kind of snickered and in his little sly way, he goes, pretty sure I know I've never asked you to do anything for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was right. uh, so Pence took it very seriously. So uh, tell people briefly, because a lot of listeners might not even remember, sum that up, what happened there. On the Hammond pardon? Yeah, yep. So they were, and it's kind of funny, because a lot of people equate the Hammonds and the Bundys as the same people. Right. They're not. They, the Hammonds didn't want anything to do with the Bundys, didn't want anything to do with what they did at the refuge. So that refuge sits at the base of the, the Hammond Ranch, which goes up onto the Steen Mountains. There's a reservoir on top of the Steen Mountains. It's probably 500 acres. It's 90 feet deep. Corps of Engineers built it back in the 40s. It's on the Hammonds deeded ground. The Hammonds wanted that water and wanted that, you know, wanted the government out of their business. So they applied for, they, they documented that the government never had any beneficial use of that water and those water rights for 10 years. Yep. They took it to federal court. Well, when they did that, they won. So they won the water rights to that reservoir. Well, then the federal government came after them. They even tried to do a plea de or a deal with them in the back room before the trial, before the sentencing and said, hey, we'll make all this go away. You just give us the four or a thousand acres up there around that and the water rights back and you're, you're done. Yep. 
They're like, no, we're not going to do it. So they ended up going to jail as terrorists. They were tried as terrorists, which was the worst part, because they were tried under the Anti-Terrorism Effective Death Penalty Act, which was something that was designed after the Oklahoma City bombing to go after terrorists, not ranchers. Here's the kicker that Trump really liked, and Pence did too. The only charge that they actually got charged with, and that actually stuck, they were charged for burning 142 acres, I think it was, of federal ground, because they lit a backburn to stop a fire, a lightning strike fire from coming on their place. All the other nefarious charges they used to try them as terrorists were all disappeared. What they did is not even punishable. And I showed Trump and Pence the paragraph in the BLM statute. It's not even punishable by a fine. How did that day feel when they were pardoned? That was probably, other than my boys being born, that was probably the greatest day of my life, was getting that done. And it was it was so emotional for everybody involved. It was so cool. It was weird because they were so used to being browbeat and run over and checked on by the federal government and just harassed that they were gun shy. They were like two flighty horses, you know? I mean, that's, I mean, they were, they're worried. Yeah. Every, every, every car that came around the corner, they were staring at it, trying to figure out if it was the feds checking them out. And they were, they were, they came, they had, there was police presence. We had a party would drop forest fluids jet in to long beach. We picked them up, flew them home on forest private jet to Burns, to a huge welcome at the airport, the little airport in Burns, Oregon, and went up to their house in town and had a party. Yeah. You know, there was a big party there, and they live on a corner. And in town, the, the in-town house for Dwight and Susie was on a corner, and there was cops on this side. There was cops over here. There was, co- there was state patrol. There was the feds. There was all kinds of people watching this. And for what? Why were they doing it? These guys. Because the government loves to make an example of strong men that are standing up for principle. That's I what. Got, and I got attacked. Kate Brown, our illustrious governor here in Oregon, I had the IRS come after me and criminal investigators come after me shortly thereafter because she was mad because she wanted the Hammonds in jail. And so. They came, IRS came after me. Then DEQ come over and saw a manure pile that was too close to the river. You know, it was only a hundred yards from the river, not what, you know, whatever it was. And the, the guy from DEQ, the, or the ag department, basically, he was the one to come over here. He, he laughed at it and he goes, I don't know why I'm even here, but I was told to come over here and find something to talk to you about. So, oh my. Yeah. Well, I, I just remember when I was reporting on it and this story was always going to be special to me, but I was basically told, stand down now. This isn't worthy article for beef industry issues. And that's that's the distinction here and who I why I try to get the gifts I oh, get. No. They told you to stand down on the Hammond pardon? Oh, yeah. It was unfortunate that a major trade publication wouldn't let me talk about the the rights of an independent rancher that was in real trouble. And yeah. that's you know, that's the distinction. People like to make assumptions about me, like, oh, she's an NCBA gal. She's an RCAF. She's a U.S. cattleman's. I'm like, no, what I am is I fight for the independent cattle producer. So at the end of the day, it's not what's good for all. Oh, carbon capture is going to make us all rich. 
my motivation is that one family on the land. What's going to keep our private property rights intact so our kids and grandkids have an opportunity to be in this business? I mean, last I checked, no association is paying my my operating note. So the profitability, the sustainability, and I use that in terms of is the, are these businesses going to make it? depends on these individual families being protected. And that's why I appreciate you, Dave, because you're not afraid. There's some kind of advocates that they just go talk pretty about beef and cows and sing a good song. And then there's a crew of advocates out there that are willing to go get dirty and fight the real battles. And you, sir, are one of those. So I appreciate you. And, you know, we've run out of time today, but maybe last parting words, Let's talk about your get out the vote. Do we have time to, to talk about sure, that? Sure. So our, our get out the rural American vote deal, um, I've been asked to kind of be the, because of the notoriety with the Hammond pardon and all that stuff. And people trust me when I yep. go places more and I speak, they trust me a lot more than they trust the Charlie Kirks of the world or the people like that, you know, who has four mansions that are $4 million a piece kind of a deal. So they, they're, they're realizing that, you know, going that direction probably isn't the best way to go. But our get out the rural American vote, prime example here in Oregon, and this this is not different from any other state. But right here in Oregon, if we would have done what, what I wanted to do in the last cycle, we could have had a, a Republican governor pretty handily. What we do is we go after low propensity voters. So an average campaign costs 16, 18, 20 dollars a vote. Glenn Youngkin cost him $36 a vote to get elected. My data guys that I do, that I work with are the same guys that got Glenn Youngkin elected and, and did all the and have done a bunch of stuff in other states. They want me to be the, the Ralph Reed of get out the rural American vote, basically, is what they're doing. So now I'm going to be pushing to get the what we call low propensity voters to come out. And in Oregon, we had we had already identified 488,000 of them. The average turnout for these guys, these data guys on getting low propensity voters out is about 25%. So 488,000, that would have been, you know, 125,000 extra votes at minimum. That would have doubled the amount that our illustrious liberal governor won by. So it would have totally flipped the whole state, but I couldn't get people to bite on it. And the other big thing is, is we do it for two to three dollars a vote. We're not out here trying to get rich. I love my place. I'm I'm happy where I'm at. I don't need four or five mansions. I want to see our country recover. I don't want to see me with a big wallet and a bank account. So folks that are feeling a little disenfranchised after the last four years and feeling like maybe their voice or their vote doesn't matter, what would you tell them going into this cycle? Yeah, their vote matters. We got to get the rural American vote out. That's probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that your vote doesn't matter. Oregon used to be a red state. Now it, it turned purple and now it's blue. And it could be red again. And we need to we need to get it red. But the only way to get it red is to get all the voters to get back out there and get off all the logging towns and all those people get off the meth and go to the, <laughs> go to the ballot box. That's why I love you, Dave. You never yeah. know what's going to come out of your mouth. It's awesome. This is yeah. a real and raw interview right here. Well, I'm fighting like heck to make sure South Dakota stays red. It's looking awfully purple, leaning towards blue these days. And uh, you, you've got your work cut out for you. Apathy yeah. can yeah. kill and, a lot of things. 
we haven't done anything as far as data on South Dakota because we really haven't thought about it. But like Texas is turning purple and yep. Texas is, you know, they're, they're, they're worried about it. So I got a big deal down there that we're going to look at. We've already identified six and a half million low propensity voters in Texas that lean right. So. Well, that would help counter all the illegals coming across the border that are exactly. going to be dead people that are going to be voting and all the things. All right. We're, <laughs> yep. You're definitely coming back soon. <laughs> before we get in trouble. We'll wrap for more information to see what Western justice is up to. Westernjustice.info is our, you know, where, where you go. Our, our C3 is wjustice.com. Okay. Our dot orgs. Sorry. I'll, I'll link it. I always get that one mixed, mixed up. But the, the main website for our C4, which is our political arm and does most of the work, westernjustice.info. Great. Awesome. Well, I sure appreciate your time today and, and we'll link everything in the show notes and keep up the good fight. All right. See you, Amanda. Appreciate it. See ya. While I've got you here, I would love to invite you to check out my website, amandaradke.com. Each week, I share my column, this podcast, and new items to shop for farm and ranch families, including my children's books that celebrate agriculture. Use code DUSTYTRAIL to save 15% on your next purchase. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting my small business and for your continued support in keeping me on the road fighting for farm and ranch families. I'm thankful to each and every one of you who tune into this show each week. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe, share, and leave a review to let me know how you're liking the content and our guests. Until the next time we meet on the Dusty Trail, I'm Amanda Radke, and this is the heart of rural America.